Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're talking about electricity, and more specifically, how much all of us living in Austin pay for it. Now, this was a major point of discussion and debate for Austin City Council pretty much all throughout 2022. But it was a tough story to follow. Things moved really quickly, and Texas's energy market is not exactly easy to understand. So on today's show, we thought we'd do a little recap for you. So here it is. What happened with electricity rates in 2022 and what that means for our electricity bills in 2023? Okay, so first up, some basic explainers and definitions. Here in Austin, we have a publicly owned electric utility. It's called Austin Energy. And this is actually pretty rare in Texas, where most people are being served by privately owned companies. And because Austin Energy is publicly owned, city council gets to have a final say over many of its big decisions, which is what happened this year. So starting back in April of 2022, Austin Energy started something called a base rate review process. Now, this process is done about every five years, and it allows the utility to review its costs and revenues and to change rates if it can prove that current rates are not covering Austin Energy's costs. Now, base rates are the portion of your electricity bill that pay for fixed costs and not the cost of electricity itself. So these include things like employees, wires and poles, and maintenance of the power plants that Austin Energy owns. So Austin Energy originally submitted a proposal to significantly increase residential base rates increasing everyone's fixed monthly charge from $10 to $25, and reducing the number of tiers Austin Energy sells electricity at from five to three. And this five-tier structure was originally created to encourage energy conservation. That's because it charges those who use the least amount of energy, the least amount of money per unit of energy, which is called a kilowatt hour. So why did Austin Energy propose these changes? Well, it all boils down to a few key issues. The first is something called the revenue requirement. Austin Energy said it needed to bring in $35.7 million more in revenue in order to improve its financial health, which Austin Energy said had deteriorated because of two primary factors. One is the city's rapid growth, which increases infrastructure and operating costs. Austin Energy says it has 18% more customers today than in 2014. And then two, kind of at the same time, you had flat sales. Austin Energy says electricity sales have only increased 4% because homes are becoming more energy efficient. So more infrastructure, flat sales. So that's the revenue requirement piece. But Austin Energy also said it was concerned about the five-tier rate structure. Austin Energy claimed it was becoming unsustainable because there's been a lot of growth in the lowest and cheapest tiers, which are subsidized. And then lastly, Austin Energy said that commercial customers are paying $42.5 million above what it actually costs to serve them, while residential customers are paying $70.2 million below. Austin Energy said that changes needed to be made in order to reduce these, quote, subsidies between classes of customers, end quote. So that was Austin Energy's argument. And in the end, City Council ended up accepting large parts of Austin Energy's proposal, but while making a few key changes to lessen the severity of the price increases. So here's what City Council ended up approving. Uh, They approved a $13 fixed monthly customer charge in 2023, bumped up to a $14 charge in 2024, and a $15 charge in 2025. So this is more than the current customer charge of $10 a month, but a lot less than the originally proposed $25 a month. Okay, so the next thing City Council approved was a $29.5 million increase to Austin Energy's revenue requirement. Again, definitely an increase, but a bit less than the originally proposed $35.7 million. And then the last big thing City Council approved here was the creation of four rate tiers, which is one less than the five we currently have, but less severe of a change than the originally proposed three tiers. So all in all, this will increase the average customer's bill by about $9 a month starting in March. Now, that's in addition to the $15 monthly increase to the pass-through rates portion of your bill, which was approved by City Council back in October, and it's actually already in effect right now. And the pass-through rates, while they're certainly a bummer, the conversation over them was a little less controversial because it pays for things like fuel and ERCOT market costs, which Austin Energy doesn't have as much control over. 
So the fact of the matter is natural gas prices are really high right now, and changes made to the ERCOT market system in response to Winter Storm Uri also increased prices for everyone in Texas. So anyway, all in, you're looking at a $24 a month increase to your electricity bill starting in March. Okay, (laughs) wow, that was a really long recap. So let's dive in a little deeper now. Our first guest for today is Austin City Council member Leslie Poole. I interviewed her at the end of 2022 to recap the Austin Energy base rate debate and to get a better understanding of council's final decisions. All right, let's go ahead and listen in on that interview. All right, I'm here with Councilmember Leslie Poole. We're going to do we're doing a little recap of the Austin Energy rate case situation. This is something people probably have seen a lot about in the news, maybe haven't kept up with all the little bits. So let's let's start from the beginning a little bit. First, can you just briefly explain like the role city council has over Austin Energy and kind of like what a rate case is? Let's just give people the basics. Okay, great. And uh, it's Leslie Cool, and I'm the chair of the Austin Energy Utility Oversight Committee. I'm really glad uh, to spend some time with everybody today. Amy, thanks for the invitation and the opportunity to kind of talk about the basics. Uh, the As you know, Austin Energy is our consumer-owned uh, nonprofit electric uh, utility here in Austin, Texas, and we derive significant revenues from the uh, from the rates that go to pay for operations and programs beyond paying for Austin Energy's uh, operations and programming. So the the fact that the city of Austin owns the utility and we sit as the board of directors, the council does. Um, is really, really important to the financial uh, wherewithal for the city of Austin. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think maybe people don't realize this, Austin is in a unique position, a bit lucky in this way. We don't have a investor-owned utility where the profits would just go to you know, investors to rich people, the the profits from Austin Energy do go back to us as a city to pay for parks, libraries, things like that. That's right. And the customer assistance program that we'll talk about later is also funded through these uh, methods. And yeah, it's a huge benefit to the city uh, that we own our electric utility. Yeah. So I feel like that's an important reminder because then, you know, this past year, we've had some difficult discussions with Austin Energy trying to figure out pricing, right? And so basically the way it works is, again, as since city council is board of directors of the utility kind of get to have final say here, but the utility um, every, is it five years, gets to come come forward and say, okay, we've looked through, we've done studies on our rates, and this is the, what we kind of want to charge customers in the upcoming few years. So right. let's take that back a bit. This process started, you know, kind of a while ago, I guess early, you know, this year with Austin Energy doing some studies, and they said they really needed to bring in more revenue. They called it a revenue requirement. Can you Can you explain a little bit of what was going on here, or what kind of what Austin Energy um, felt like it needed? Right. So I can talk a little bit about why Austin Energy needed to increase its revenue requirement, and then the work that the council did to get from that yeah. original proposal over the last year to the final decision, which was made on December 8. So the city's electric utility regularly reviews its base rates. It's been every five years per council policy. Austin Energy kind of mimics the process used by the Public Utility Commission, which involves formal hearings, the assembly of facts relating to costs to customers in all of the categories, residential, small business, industrial, large user, and so forth, to set the tariffs. The process is systematic. Uh, It involves an impartial hearing examiner. He acts as a judge. Uh, Then representatives of the utility Uh, And then individual representatives, sometimes called interveners, sometimes called participants, who sign on to intervene in the case. They attend the hearing sessions, they offer their perspectives and advocate for pricing for different consumer classes and how the utility should assign costs. So the process is quite formal. It is a hearing, and it takes place over an extended period of time. In this case, I think it ran from maybe February into November. 
Um, and uh, so it's an extended period of time. And then that ends with a ruling from the impartial hearing examiner on the various questions that have arisen. And Austin Energy's website on the City of Austin page, I think it's simply austinenergy.com, has links to all of the reports that were filed. And also the backup, which is extensive, is assigned to the item that was on the December 8 council meeting agenda. So people can go and, and read the different reports. Mm -hmm. Austin Energy has not uh, raised rates on, on customers like this in quite some time. What were some of the big reasons why they said this was necessary? Because it was a few things, right, that are kind of changing in the market, in the way our city is growing, that they said kind of the cause of this, right? What's the what's the reasoning? Well, there was a gap in the revenues, and that gap in the revenues is being driven in large part by the same economic forces we're seeing in other sectors since we are emerging from the worst of the pandemic and the lockdowns. And the dais agreed that that amount was about $30 million. That revenue number then was the target we had to solve for. Uh, and that number plus the agreed class distribution percentages, a stable income from the gradual increase in the fixed costs, that then drove the decision on the tier breaks and the cost per kilowatt hour that you'll see on your bill. But yeah. Cost of operations, setting the lines, uh, repairs, staffing, everything that runs an electric utility is paid for by the ratepayers, by the consumers of the electricity. We had a gap of about it was about 35 million. We reduced that gap through a shift uh, from the general fund transfer by limiting the amount of the general fund transfer that we talked about at the top of the hour, which pays for other programs, including um, like private municipal lighting, metered lighting and non-metered lighting. The city has to still pay for the consumption of electricity. We have um, our standalone plug-in places for electric vehicles that that program is paid for out of Austin Energy uh, uh, funds. So, uh, so we have put a limit on the amount that will go from Austin Energy as the ratepayer bonus, if you will, the profit sharing. If this were in a private sector, that would that would be what that would be called. We limited that to 115 million and any funds over that amount is going to be applied back against that gap. So that got us to about 30 million with the graduated uh, fixed cost increase. It's $10 now. When the new rates are put in place in March, March 1st is the target date for the rates that $10 will go up to $13. So it'll go up by $3. Then in, uh, that's in 2023. In 24, it will go up one more dollar to $14. And in 25, it'll go up one more dollar to $15. And that graduated recouping um, of funds from the ratepayers will fill that uh, $30 million gap and will allow us to proceed without having um, heavy debt hanging over the the utility. Mm -hmm. And so that's some of the revenue part. Another big discussion that came up here was um, the tiers. And there was a lot of debate. The first proposal Austin Energy put out was three tiers. We have five now. I think then the final decision was four tiers. You know, this is one that I saw a lot of the environmental community push back on Austin Energy's proposal, a pretty immediately public citizen groups like that felt like it was it would damage some of the city's environmental conservation work. I know you are very active in the environmental community here, and that's an important issue to you. So how did you kind of how what do you feel like the final um, tier structure does and kind of how did you grapple with that dealing with trying to ensure we're still encouraging that environmental conservation piece? You know, another reason why Austin Energy has gaps in its funds, I, I realized I didn't mention, is due to its strong advocacy for conservation. And so we have a Which lot is frustrating, of frustrating, right? It's like, yeah. that's what we wanted. That's exactly right. A lot of consumers are reducing the amount of energy that they use. And so people in the, the, the participation in the highest 
tier, which was five, has dropped precipitously. It has also dropped in the, the tier four when we did a review at how, what percentage of customers were actually using uh, certain amounts of energy, like say over 3000 kilowatt a month. Um, so those numbers were dropping precipitously. Everybody's in tier one. It's kind of like your tax returns, the marginal increases. When you get into the next tier up, you pay at the second tier, just the marginal increase that's in that second tier. Some uh, utilities have no tiers. Everybody pays exactly the same amount. And I would argue that there's little there's little pressure for conservation there because you don't actually save anything except your bill is lower, but you're not being forced by the systematic structure of the formulas and the tiering to push you downward. There's no downward pressure. Um, I thought that going from five to three was too fast. And for so I recommended a four tiers. We can reevaluate all of this during budget next year. And I've I'm advocating for us to reevaluate our base rates and our tiering structures more often than every five years so that we can more adroitly respond to market forces, be they economic increase, you know, uh, the, the chains, the supply chain issues that we deal with, uh, the employment issues, increases in pay, the size of the city incoming, people needing electric, just the size of a, the supernova city that we're living in, trying to keep up with all of that. Um, I think we, just the rate of the pace of change has, to, is demanding us to do this more often. So, um, uh, so yes, so the conservation piece was really important. Um, I do think that it is well, institutionalized the need to uh, conserve. We see that for sure in our water usage numbers. Um, I, I think it's sometimes a, a little bit harder for people to conserve energy as much as they might like to because of the cost to maybe improve the insulation in your home, replace your windows, you know, just tighten up the home itself so that it itself is a more um, efficient uh, user of, of the energy. Um, but yes, we were all agreed on the dais that we did not want to penalize people for their conserving habits. Um, but there is a point at which if everybody is conserving 100%, then they're all going to end up in that bottom tier. And then I don't think I don't know how we then broker reduced costs for people who have conserved to get to the bottom of the uh, rate structure, and we still have the costs of the rate structure. So the way the formula works, whether we are penalizing or or incentivizing conservation, in the end, we still have to recoup what the costs of the energy production are. Um, and that means the fees. That means the yeah. fees and the rates that people are paying. That first year is a little subsidized as well. So that's kind of was the model before is that those it people is, are being a little subsidized by the highest energy users. But if there's not as many high energy users, there's not as much subsidy available to be given. Mm -hmm. That's right. We do. We are not actually capturing 100% of the costs in the first tier. We are capturing a little closer to 100% of the costs in the second tier. And then um, we are capturing more than the cost in the third and the fourth tier. Yeah. Um, there is a push at the legislature and it's just uh, among local, in the local government code, um, there is a limit on whether a municipality can profit from the sale of its services and you basically cannot. So for example, the water that we use, the trash that's picked up, the electricity that we use, the city can't add a factor onto any of that in order to make more money than what it costs to deliver the service. There was a little bit of jockeying around that uh, with uh, some, in, including on the dais, feeling that, well, you know, we can, we can be a little more, um, we can subsidize a little bit more at the lower levels without 
uh, any without being penalized by the legislature. I think that is a, a careful needle to thread. As we know, um, the legislature does look at us from time to time, uh, looking for ways to make our lives more difficult. I did not want to hand anybody Austin Energy on a platter uh, to uh, to make us vulnerable uh, with the legislature. So that was always top of mind for me as well when we were making these decisions. This is always a constant thing with Austin Energy because we are kind of an exception to the general rule of the state of Texas. And um, in theory, if the legislature wanted to, they could they could get rid of Austin Energy. That's like the big, big fear, right? That's right. Yeah. And uh, we mm -hmm. have been fortunate in the last eight years uh, to stave off those um, attempts. Uh, they're, they, they won't stop. Um, so for me, as as the chair of the oversight committee, it's it, it's just critical that we be able to explain ourselves and to do right by our consumers and to have uh, a really spotless reputation. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about another element that came up here in the conversation, which was uh, the CAP program, the customer mm -hmm. assistance program. So we have, again, a public utility. We have this program that helps um, low-income customers pay their bills and importantly gets rid of that flat customer charge, which is the thing that's going to be increasing um, coming up here. But not that many people, not as many people are enrolled as could be. Can you talk a little bit about this program and what council is hoping to do to enroll more people? Like, why are more people not enrolled in it? Right. Well, I think that that's a bit of a puzzle, certainly to me and probably to all of us thinking about it. Um, so the CAP enrolls customers based on their income levels. It's an automatic enrollment if you make less than 200% of the federal poverty level, but we have to have that information. Um, and we do get that information from different social programs that are offered at the state level, uh, but not everybody is enrolled in those. Um, so if not all eligible customers are enrolled, the reasons why can vary from either they don't know that they are eligible or they may decline to participate. And so the council directed Austin Energy to increase its efforts to identify those who may be eligible and, and really put more muscle behind trying to get people to sign up. I expect city staff outreach um, will include trusted community members like pastors or teachers uh, to expand our efforts to bring more people into the program. And then you'll see in Austin Energy's tariff document, um, they describe the criteria. It says all eligible residential customers will automatically will be automatically enrolled in the discount program through a third party matching process with self enrollment available directly through Austin Energy. So I think the more word we can get out on the street and reach more people, first we have to find who they are. Um, and and then match them mm -hmm. with programs and and try to convince them to take advantage of the program. Yeah, and so that's a new focus. That's yeah. right. Yes, we had uh, a resolution. I think the mayor brought it at the end of November to redouble our efforts there, and we're going to put some of the money from the base rate. Uh, fee increases will flow into an expanded uh, funding for CAP. So if we can identify, we're looking to find 72% was the number that was in that resolution to try to find of the entire universe, if we can sign up 72% of those eligible, and that gives a little bit of margin for people who may be eligible, but but just for whatever reason, choose not, they don't, they don't want anybody knowing what, what their incomes are. So they you know, and they have that ability. They, if they don't want to take advantage of the program, then, um, and there are some criteria for enrollment. If they don't want to disclose, then, you know, we're not going to make them do that. Uh, but we do have a goal of 72% of those eligible to be signed up. And we needed also to fund that uh, pro program increase. And we were able to identify um, about a million and a half to add to the program through the, the base rate, um, the shifts in the funding. That was part of the uh, decision making that we made on December 8th as well. Yeah. And so, you know, in the end, 
uh, council made the final decision here on rates and things. It wasn't a unanimous decision. There were some council members that said they still felt like there's too much rate shock, like the increases were too high, especially for um, lower users of energy. You know, I imagine these were a tough few weeks for you all debating it out. Like what made you in the end decide like this is this proposal will work or is the best outcome? Well, for one thing, and I think at one point we were talking about the income, uh, what the revenue requirements were. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, um, the independent consumer advocate came in with a number um, that was about he he was saying $5 million, his initial, the consumer advocate mm -hmm. um, first revenue requirement was 5 million or 6 million. And he never actually provided any evidence for that. He picked a number and he said, Austin Energy is way out of line. Well, the impartial hearing examiner in his ruling agreed with Austin Energy on the revenue requirement in general and most of the points that were raised in the proceedings. So there wasn't any real evidence provided for the lower number. Um, it was then changed up to 15, I think, and that was seen as a midway point between the 30 odd million and 5 million. And that also had no basis. It had no data backing it up. It was just a midpoint. And so I can't risk the financial stability of the city's sole power supplier with no basis um, for a determination on a revenue requirement. On the other hand, Austin Energy had pretty clear evidence and data backing up the gap. And so it wasn't hard for me to agree to that higher number. I don't disagree that, that it's always hard when costs go up. I feel that too. We have limited it to $9 a month. It could have been more like 20 or 35. Um, I do think it's incumbent on those of us who are elected to govern and to lead, to be honest with our public. And in terms of being honest, that we don't overinflate a crisis to make one. And in the end, we have to deal with what we've got anyway. There was, there's no way for, for me responsibly to say, I'm going to pretend the revenue gap is 90% less than what the utility tells me it is. Because the minute I do that, we come back five months later, 10 months later, and that gap is even bigger because we have not done anything to fill the gap. And as a po <laughs> public policy, uh, decision maker, I, 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 I carry that responsibility really heavy. And um, for me, the appropriate response was to acknowledge that we had a gap, to agree with the impartial hearing examiner who agreed with Austin Energy, our experts in the room, that that was the number. And then to be really clear and honest with the community about what that's going to cost going forward how we are going to mitigate where we can, and we are mitigating the uh, fixed increase is not as high as Austin Energy originally said. It, they originally said $15 because that would have increased the stability of the utility incredibly. So I have, I have brokered away some stability, financial stability by listening to the advocates and my colleagues and, and myself by lowering that from $15 increase to a $3, then a four and a $5 increase. Um, so it's it's a weighing of the, the various uh, perspectives and a trust in the experts uh, that I don't feel is misplaced at all. And then um, making sure that the outcomes of these decisions is a utility that has sufficient financial stability to uh, not go bankrupt. Uh, I talked about in one work session about a downward debt spiral, because once you're in that downward spiral, it's really hard to reverse it. And you want to talk about rate shock, you go to an end of bankruptcy. And then we lose all control 
And uh, it will all come out of the ratepayers. There wouldn't be anybody else uh, stepping up to the plate to fill the gap. So in order to address very clear concerns and the truth of the matter, um, that was why I went with the structure and why I proposed the structure and the formula elements that I did. I, I recognize that uh, a couple of my colleagues disagreed with that, and I think one may be abstained. Um, but the fact is, it was a strong vote. It was eight people agreeing, and uh, it was a proposal that I that I had put out there um, about a month before we actually voted on it. And with some uh, additional tweaks and amendments, it, it that was the uh, the final the final decision and the final the final motion. And that was City Council Member Leslie Poole. In that conversation with Council Member Poole, you probably heard her mention the Independent Consumer Advocate, also called the ICA. And the ICA is the official representative of the interests of residential and small commercial electric consumers during this entire base rate review process. And the ICA really disagreed with many aspects of Austin Energy's proposal, specifically questioning the increased revenue requirement and the cost of service, or the so-called subsidies, between residential and business customers. Now, all of this gets into the weeds a bit, but the bottom line here is that a lot of the base rate review process involves basically kind of estimating future costs and expenses for the utility. And those are by definition estimates. And so the ICA called into question a lot of the ways Austin Energy was predicting future costs. Most significantly, the ICA questioned Austin Energy's decision to use 2021 as a test year to help predict future revenue and costs. Because, you know, according to the ICA, 2021 was too abnormal of a year to use for this because of Winter Storm Uri and the COVID-19 pandemic. However, in the end, another major player in this whole process, the impartial hearing examiner, mostly sided with Austin Energy when it came to kind of all these questions. And the impartial hearing examiner, or the IHE, um, it's kind of exactly like it sounds, someone who listens to all sides in the case and then makes a recommendation to city council, who, as we just heard, gets to make the final say. Okay, so anyway, back to some of the disagreements um, that the ICA and community groups had with Austin Energy during this process. So one of the formal intervening groups in this case was the nonprofit organization Public Citizen, which pushed really hard to get council to keep rates low, to keep rate increases low, and to ensure that base rates continued to encourage conservation. In a press release shared after City Council approved the final base rate changes, Kaiba White, who's the Energy and Policy Outreach Specialist with Public Citizen, said this, quote, These excessive rate increases for customers using smaller amounts of energy each month, who are disproportionately lower income, is very disappointing. While the approved rate plan is an improvement from what Austin Energy initially proposed, it is still inequitable and deprioritizes energy conservation, which is key to reducing our impact on climate change." End quote. So now we're going to listen in on an interview I recorded with Kaiba White about her reflections of the 2022 base rate case. All right, I'm here with Kaiba. We're going to be talking Austin Energy rate case. Um, the two of us, we talked a few times while the Kate Ray case was going on and everything, but let's just start with like a quick recap. What was public citizens involvement in this process? Cause you were pretty active in it the entire time for this like year long process, right? Yeah. So we, uh, began our involvement as, uh, formal interveners in the, administrative rate case process that the city has set up for Austin Energy. So we joined with the Sierra Club and Seoul United Neighbors and participated in discovery that's basically asking Austin Energy questions about their assumptions and their data and their process and, and, and everything that goes into their rate proposal. Um, and then uh, hired, uh, we hired, sorry, we hired experts to um, evaluate Austin Energy's proposals or certain elements of Austin Energy's proposals and to um, put in our own recommendations. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, when Austin Energy first came out with its race proposals, it had a few different things that it was trying to achieve. You know, it said it wanted to bring increase its revenue requirement, you know, bring in more revenue to the utility. Um, it wanted to restructure its rates to have less tiers. And I think it wanted to shift um, some more of the cost from, uh, I guess, business customers to residential customers who Austin Energy said weren't really like footing their fair share. And so when you all got involved and kind of looked at it and put out your own proposals uh, with that coalition, I know that uh, you raise a lot of concerns about some of those consumptions that Austin Energy or assumptions Austin Energy put out. So let's like run through some of them. So like one was the revenue requirement, um, which I think ended up being about $30 million that Austin Energy, um, that's what we landed on. But it seemed like um, you and the other groups that were working on this felt like that could have been a lot lower. Yeah, and you know, I'll admit this wasn't um, an issue that we did a lot of the, we did not do a lot of primary uh, research um, on the revenue requirement. Um, but we did join with the con independent consumer advocate and other parties who did some of that research. And we felt like they made really compelling cases against some of the um, assumptions that Austin Energy was using to justify the amount of revenue that, that they were asking for to be built into our rates. And um, you know, one area that we did particularly push back was um, on including revenue for a continued investment in the Fayette coal-fired power plant, because that is part of what is now baked into our rates is continuing capital investments in that plant. And capital investments, uh, you know, are beyond just the day-to-day -day pain of employees or the fuel itself or anything like that. It's actually, you know, large expenses to keep the plant operating for more years. And um, given that the city and Austin Energy even have said that they want to shut that plant down, it was supposed to be shut down by the end of 2022. It obviously has not been. Um, you know, we feel that continued capital investment in that plant is totally illogical. Right. And that's our kind of last remaining coal-fired power plant that Austin Energy still has investment in. Yeah. But there were, you know, in terms of the, um, you know, the, the overall uh, dollar amount, there were many factors that, that the various parties uh, researched and, and found that Austin Energy was, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways just... Um, <sighs> Assuming worst case scenarios where it benefited them in terms of being able to get the highest revenue requirement approved. Um, but ultimately the, the city council decided pretty much to, to trust Austin Energy staff and, and went with, with their numbers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you talked about, that was the revenue requirement piece. It seemed like an area where, uh, you were pretty heavily engaged was the tiers. And that seemed to be a big concern as well. So let's talk some about that. It was like, I think Austin Energy's original proposal was to go from five tier structure to a three tier structure. They ended up with a four tier structure. What were your concerns with changing up our, our tiers? So uh, we were concerned with both the proposed changes to the tiered rates and the proposed change to the customer charge, the monthly customer charge. Um, both because of the impact on conservation, we felt that they would, that those changes would discourage customers from conserving energy and investing in more uh, technologies or improvements to their homes to conserve energy, and that those changes are inequitable because they did not spread the increase evenly across residential customers. They intentionally targeted those who use the least energy for increases, while those who use the most energy either got no increase or actually got rate decreases. Right. And kind of Austin Energy's reasoning here, what they said was um, that too many people kind of were falling into that lowest tier, um, which is kind of subsidized by Austin Energy. And so the math wasn't working on it anymore because there weren't enough people in the higher tiers, which you know, I guess could be an understandable argument, but is admittedly very frustrating because that's what 
you know, we as a city have been telling people and asking people to conserve energy. And now it feels like, oh, well, they did it and they're not going to get rewarded for it anymore. Um, I don't know what was what was public like, what was your approach to that? Or it, did you feel like there was a way to address some of those issues like long term? Because that seems like a problem. It's like, well, or did you feel like that whole argument wasn't really fair? Well, it is reality that the most kilowatt hours are purchased in the lowest tier because everybody purchases kilowatt hours in the lowest tier because the tiers work just like income taxes. You don't pay the highest rate for all of your usage just because you make it into say tier four or five, you, you pay that rate for the amount within that tier. Um, however, we do not think that that is a fundamental problem. It just requires more um, adjustments and kind of planning to make it work out financially for the utility. And we saw that it, it actually has worked out most of the time. There have been some years where the utility has overcollected and some have undercollected. That's very typical for utilities. And that's why you know, you you generally have some some kind of averaging as you go into a rate case. Um, our suggestion would be that the the tiers needed adjusting in terms of where the breakpoints are and the exact rates for each tier. But Austin Energy's initial proposal was so dramatic that it essentially would have eliminated the tiered rate structure in purpose. There still would have been technically three tiers, but because of where they were putting the breakpoints and because the pricing between the tiers would have been so similar, there, there would have been um, little opportunity for customers to make adjustments and move their consumption into another tier and save money doing so. So it's a matter of making small adjustments to align with the current um, usage patterns, I guess, of residents in our city uh, versus kind of throwing the whole structure out and going with something that relies on a much larger flat fee of, you know, Austin Energy was initially asking for $25 a month up from $10. What, what the city council ended up, you know, settling on was $15. So certainly a lot less than Austin Energy um, ask for, but still a 50% increase, which is pretty substantial. So ultimately what the city council decided on the tiered rates was certainly more moderate than what Austin Energy had proposed. Uh, first of all, they did decide on a four-tiered structure as opposed to the three tiers. So kind of a middle ground between what we had and what Austin Energy was initially asking for. Um, but there are still some, uh, I think, negative uh, changes that, you know, really align with the, the negative changes that Austin Energy was proposing. First and foremost, the increase in rates does fall on lower and moderate um, energy users, and that generally corresponds with lower and moderate income residents. So if you are using at the, the lower levels, you're going to get a, you know, kind of substantial rate increase, you know, perhaps 15%. Um, and if you are kind of more in the middle, you're, you're still going to get a pretty decent, maybe, you know, somewhere between eight and 10% uh, increase on your rates, uh, your base rates. And this is, of course, in addition to the increase in the power supply adjustment or PSA fee earlier in the fall. So there's definitely a concern there uh, for equity. And in terms of the concern about energy conservation, we still have concerns with the, what the changes, with, we still have concerns with the changes that were made in that the change from four tiers to five means that that some of the tiers are larger in terms of the amount of kilowatt hours. Um, you know, so a customer that uses 901 kilowatt hours is going to pay the same rate all the way up to 2,000 
kilowatt hours. Mm -hmm. So if you're using more than 900, it doesn't mean that there's not an incentive to conserve. Of course there is, because you're still paying per kilowatt hour, but you don't get uh, an additional price signal of that you start to pay more until you get all the way up to 2000 kilowatt hours. So that's just the effect of, um, you know, of taking away a, a tiered, a, a tier, a rate tier. And we hope that Austin Energy will continue to um, put proper emphasis on their uh, energy conservation programs and, you know, that this won't um, slow down the adoption of energy efficiency measures, which are essential for climate change and resilience and just kind of improving quality of life in our city. But, um, you know, ultimately this was a step back. It wasn't as big a step back as Austin Energy had initially proposed, but it's, you know, it's less progressive than what we had before. Mm -hmm. And so like going forward, what do you feel like Austin Energy can be doing to continue to encourage encourage conservation in an equitable way? I mean, I know there was some conversation during this discussion that maybe these rates could be looked at a little more frequently so that the adjustments wouldn't have to be as big or that we could have more reasonable accounting. I mean, are there are there things that you feel like the utility could be doing differently to prevent what happened this year, which is just like a huge amount of rate increases all at once for people who are already definitely frustrated with the high cost of living in Austin? Yeah, I mean, I think um, more frequent than five years is warranted in this volatile energy market. You look at what's going on in ERCOT and the PUC is considering all sorts of changes. Um, it, it's not reasonable to really think that we can predict five years out. So I don't necessarily fault Austin Energy for not being able to do that five years ago or six years ago when they had their last rate case. And uh, the, the, so the only thing I would fault them for is for not coming forward sooner for a rate case. Um, and I think that they maybe didn't wanna do that because of the pandemic, but I don't think it ultimately really helped the people of Austin, their customers, by waiting because it, it, you know, it just made for a, a pretty dramatic change, you know, right on top of another dramatic change earlier in the fall, you know, the increase in the PSA fee. Yeah. And then going forward more broadly, what do you want to see Austin Energy doing on the environmental front, you know, just kind of beyond the rate case? Are there things that you have in mind and for the upcoming year or two that you really would like to see Austin Energy focusing on? I really hope that they will um, turn some serious attention towards uh, electrification and specifically electrification of buildings and making that accessible to everybody in an affordable way. Uh, right now, Austin Energy does have a pretty good suite of incentives, but they really only work for folks who have some money of their own to put into things like heat pumps, which are the most efficient way to heat and cool our homes. And um, there's things that, that Austin Energy could do, such as have some income qualification for a sliding scale sort of incentive for heat pumps. I think that they've done a reasonably good job of expanding their weatherization programs, including their multifamily weatherization programs. But I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. And, you know, the council spent a lot of time talking about expansion of the customer assistance program, the CAP uh, program, which assists customers with their bills. And that is, of course, important. That, that helps the most needy in our community pay their electric bills. So we're definitely uh, in support of that program and expanding that program but it's really much more sustainable in all sense of the word, both environmental and socially, economically, to invest in efficiency and improving our building stock, especially for those you know, really old buildings, both multifamily and single family buildings 
that have not yet been weatherized and sometimes have really serious um, problems with them, you know, literally holes where heat or air conditioning is leaking out and just kind of ancient heating and cooling systems. I think that our utility could do more to help both the low and kind of low to moderate income uh, people in our city invest not just in the basic weatherization, but also in transforming our heating and cooling systems to be sustainable and affordable and healthy. And do you feel like there's a way to do that while still keeping Austin Energy financially solvent or whatever? I mean, I feel like this is the argument they tried to push almost was, hey, if we get too good at uh, energy conservation, like we'll just need to raise your rates again. Is almost was like the underlying tone that was coming through in this conversation that I found most frustrating. It was like, isn't this what we want? Yeah. And I mean, there is an element of truth in that, that if our ultimate goal of reducing our energy usage down to the bare minimum, if we can meet that, it, it does mean that we will probably pay more per kilowatt hour but that our overall bill will be mm. lower. At the end of the day, residents really care about their bills more than they care about their rates because that's how much money you need to budget to pay. And that's why I think as you raise rates, it's especially important to put more emphasis on solutions like energy efficiency that help people reduce their energy consumption and will therefore keep their bill affordable. And that was Kaiba White. And that's pretty much our show for today. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. This show is hosted by me, Amy Stansbury, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. Thanks for listening.